0: You're listening to The Common Good Show, a show designed to inform, inspire, and empower our listeners and entrepreneurs. Whether your goal is to live your best life, achieve business success, or foster a safe and healthy community, we bring you a holistic approach. And now, here's your host, Juanita Farrow.
1: Welcome to The Common Good Show with Juanita Farrow. I am your host, And today we have a great show for you. We are talking about mental health and addiction. Mental health and addiction. It's something that we need to talk more about that we do not talk about enough. So we are shining a light on mental health and addiction today. And I have the perfect guest who is going to help us shed that light on mental health and addiction today, and that is Denise Hill. And I'm going to tell you a little about Denise. She has an extensive background. Um, Denise was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois, and she moved to Rockford, Illinois in 1963 and then relocated to Florida in 2011. She received a bachelor's degree in human services in 2010 from Judson University in Rockford, Illinois, and a master's degree with a concentration in marriage and family in 2016 from Lynchburg, Virginia. She's received a certified addiction profession certificate in 2013 and a certified electronic therapist certificate. Wow, I can't wait to hear about that. And 2016 from the Florida Certification Board. She's worked with substance abuse since 2002, 17 years of experience with roles that include behavioral health, technician, school liaison, crisis intervention coordinator, residential manager, clinical activities coordinator, case manager, and therapist. She has a private practice where she provides telehealth therapy via phone and video in the state of Florida. Wow, that's interesting. My ta- her passion for serving others is born from a personal experience. And she has used those adversaries as stepping stones towards helping others work through and find their strength, their voice, and their courage to live through their pain. And She's used an electronic approach, including cognitive behavioral therapy, motivational interviewing, and main focus on family therapy. Um, She's been trained in each of these areas, and she has incorporated them into her work to help her clients reach their desired potential. And she usually works with individuals, couples, and she can work with families. So please help me welcome to the show today our guest, Denise Hill. Welcome to the show, Denise.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Well, I am so glad to have you to talk about such an
0: important topic.
1: And, you know, with everything going on in our, our nation now and our society, we need to spend time trying to figure out how we can better understand um, mental health and addiction. Okay. Well, so I'm going to just jump right in to the questions, okay. and, um, and so we can get started. So I wanted to know, first of all, What made you decide to pursue? Um, Did you always know that you were going to be in behavioral health or did you have other other things in mind and behavioral health was like something you just um, started doing accidentally or um, you found your passion, so to speak?
0: That's a great question, Juanita. Um, I can go back to as far back when I was a little girl and I knew I would be a teacher, preacher, or a counselor. There was just something in me that Mm -hmm. wanted to help people help themselves. And throughout Mm. my life, like you read from my bio, this passion is definitely born from experience because I struggled with substance abuse. And what I know now is that I was called to this work Mm. and to be in a position to... Help those that still struggle use the, the gifts that I've been able to work through, personalize, and now share with others. Just makes it that much more impactful. So the career as a mental health professional, it is definitely a gift.
1: Oh, that is so powerful that so you come with this experience that you've had from your journey and. And that helps you to understand it at a, a much deeper level, and that personal connection with that that patient who's going through something that you sometimes you, that you already know about. Wow, that yes. is powerful. Oh, thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing that story. Um, so I know you, you have um, you're a certified electronic therapist. Okay, and so Mm -hmm. I'm really interested in finding out more about that. So can you talk to your listeners about exactly what that is?
0: Yes. So through the state of Florida, they have a certification that's called Certified Electronic Therapy. And basically what it does is allow me to do electronic therapy via phone or we can do electronic um, video chatting if they want to. And what it is is just a less intrusive way. People get to stay in the comfort of their home if they want. Mm-hmm. Maybe they have an appointment and they sit in their car as opposed to coming to the traditional office. And it affords an opportunity to explore areas of your life that may be a hindrance, a problem, you feel uncomfortable with, want to seek help in. And with the electronic therapy, it's really at your leisure. That's one of wow. that's the yeah, that's mm-hmm. basically it
1: in a nutshell. And, and so your, the, the clients that you see, they seem mm-hmm. to like this approach. I mean, especially if they're not ready to, you know, step out and have that face-to-face in-person yes. kind of meeting. Mm-hmm. This gives them sort of a stepping stone to start at least engaging.
0: Yes, it's definitely an empowering opportunity.
1: Wow, well, that's great. And so the state of Florida has the, um, has the option to allow you to do that with your clients because they it's been approved that that's a form of
0: treatment that you can yes. you know engage in. Yes, it's a certification that's coupled with what's called a Certified Addiction Professional Licensure, mm-hmm. or, and you need your master's also. So it's not that you can just go in and get it. You mm-hmm. have to meet certain criteria for it.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. But it sounds like it's coming, becoming very commonplace to use yes, as part of therapy. Yes, definitely. Yes. Wow, that's, that's really interesting. I wanted to emphasize that because, you know, um, I know all states may not have that, but I guess, mm-hmm. you know, to find out whether or not a particular state does have that, and that may be an option for those who want to get some help but it's not ready to do a face-to-face kind of um, in-person kind of uh, therapy. Mm-hmm. Great. This, mm-hmm. is, this is really interesting, and I like to have those educational moments to really help understand better all the, the things that are involved in, you know, the therapy, but also understanding mental illness. So we're going to take a, a short break now. Though, and we're going to come back, and we're going to really dig into this topic and understand better um, the things that we need to know about shedding light on this um, mental mental about mental health and addiction. So we'll take a short break, and we will be right back you've been listening to The Common Good Show with Juanita, and I've been talking to Denise Hill this morning, and we're talking about mental health and addiction. So we'll take a short break. We'll be right back. Don't you go anywhere. Welcome back to The Common Good Show with Juanita. We are here today talking to Denise Hill about mental health. And addiction. So I wanted to ask you, uh, Denise. Um, you probably see a lot of uh, patients. And what are some of the common things that you you see patients for now? What are you seeing?
0: Well, initially, when they search me out, they're coming for substance use. And what that does is once they understand what caused the use or why they continue to use. That opens up the door to other areas. So then that leads to an array of other issues. And while substance abuse may be what drew them in, some of them bring up family conflict. They may talk about abuse. They may talk about um, family dynamics. They may talk about self-esteem. They may talk about uh, relationships with their uh, siblings, like whatever the topic is that Mm veers off we just kind of travel with that and see what is it that they need help in and what is it that they want to work on.
1: Uh, that's really interesting. So what you're saying is if someone is using, um, you know, a substance or um, they have an addiction, usually there's an underlying problem or issue that's causing them to use. So sometimes they're trying to numb their pain or not deal with
0: the underlying issue. Is that what you're saying? Yes, but I want to clarify something. Sure. So by the time okay. someone recognizes they have a problem, there's a whole mm-hmm. criteria that has to be followed so they can fall into mm-hmm. the correct category to gain whatever that title is that they have, whether it's substance use, substance abuse, tolerance. Okay. So these are different mm-hmm. criteria that have to be met. Okay. But the premise... Over all of it speaks to something underlying that exacerbated the use
1: oh wow, and you know and I suppose that you know especially nowadays with the opiate crisis and um, what we're seeing there, even something that prescription um, you know from a doctor can create some type of um, addiction um, that, you know, Mm -hmm. patients are having to to deal with just because they had pain of some sort Mm -hmm. or back pain or some other type of pain, and they end up on this addiction. So it could be almost anything that leads to this um, substance abuse. Yes. Wow. Wow. This is really, really interesting. So do you see um, a lot of young people also? You know...
0: uh-huh. I'm sorry, what were you about to say? No, go ahead.
1: Go ahead. You,
0: you see young people dealing with substance abuse? I do. And the thing with young people, right, it's one of those elements where just their age alone, they're exposed to a lot of external stimuli, right? And that provides mm. an illusion where they may believe a man ought to remove change in substance, whether they explore it, whether they're doing it out of peer pressure, whether they just have curiosity to believe that this could make them feel good. What happens is if they have underlying issues that they haven't dealt with, the drug numbs that feeling and makes them feel good. So it alleviates the pain from whatever the initial pain was. So say they're dealing with depression or family conflict or struggling with low self-esteem once they induce the drug or whatever mind altering substance they they're taking it numbs that and they feel exhilarated they feel excited mm-hmm. so they may feel mm-hmm. that that is better than the crisis that originally drew them to want to escape
1: wow wow that's really interesting you know i i read and, and also heard, um, you're hearing a lot on the news about the suicide rate among mm-hmm. youth, especially um, in our youth, that it's increasing uh, significantly. Um, yes. And so, so that means that there are issues that young people are dealing with. There are things that they're dealing with, and like you said, some of the environment is just toxic that we live in today, and it's leading to maybe some of these issues.
0: Yes, and and also because the teens are going through so many different changes, not only Mm -hmm. just for peer pressure, but the news exploits a lot, and they draw a lot Mm -hmm. from the music that's out there as well, and not to mention what Mm -hmm. they may have seen or are experiencing in their own family dynamic. Without a proper vehicle to communicate and process all of this, they're internalizing it, and if nobody – picks up or zooms in to help them recognize, we get to channel this. We get to process this and talk it out. Usually they keep it within themselves, so by the time they expose to an opportunity to explore a man or to remove change in substance, they use that out because they haven't been using their voice to process what they've been holding in.
1: hmm so I wanted to ask you this because I'm staying on the subject of youth because I know that there um, there's so many things right now that are going on with our youth, so I want to try to educate families and, and communities about what's happening with the youth so that we can better under, understand that. Now, when you are um, talking to a youth or treating youth, is, are the parents involved? I mean, how does it work in, in Florida in terms of involving their parents. But what if their parents are part of the toxic
0: issue (laughs) that the
1: youth is dealing
0: with? Right. That's that's a great question. So you have to go through (laughs) assessments, right? You have to go through release of information. And you have to get parental Mm -hmm. consent depending on how old the child is. Mm -hmm. Once they Mm -hmm. consent, um, there sometimes can be individual sessions. Then there can be family sessions. The content mm-hmm. in which the teen may want to open up about could be hindered because the parent is in the room, mm-hmm. especially if the issue is with the parent. So sometimes mm-hmm. they, they speak nonverbally, and most therapists are able to pick up on what nonverbal says because I want to talk, but I can't say it yet. So you wait uh, for an opportunity yeah. Right, You continue with the session, but you wait for an opportunity where you can allow for the youth to express. And there are some parents that are open and connected enough where they want the child to tell them uh-huh. they're ready to heal, so they're ready to work on it. And they're like, you can just say it. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to hurt. But I brought you here so we can get better as a whole because it really is a family mm-hmm. issue. Mm-hmm.
1: Wow, that's, that's really interesting. Um, Okay, I just wanted to emphasize that because I think that's very, very powerful is that, um, you know, that sometimes that when you have this family dynamic, you know, it's sometimes it's about communication and that youth feeling safe to be able mm-hmm. to say something or empowered yes. to be able to say something and giving them that space to do that. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, the same type of uh, treatment, do you do that for youth as you would for an adult um, Um, Or is that something different that you might do to help that youth um, that you probably wouldn't do for adults? Is is the treatment pretty much the same? They
0: are kind of similar yet different Mm -hmm. altogether. Because with Mm -hmm. teens and youth, you want to meet them where they're at. So you want to keep it Mm -hmm. age-appropriate with the material, Uh with whatever form of intervention you're doing, but also engaging them enough so they'll want to participate as opposed to having it so over their head, they're just kind of not understanding what this journey is that they're embarking on. Uh Similar to adult interventions, it does require both family members and loved ones to travel the journey with them because as the person is getting help, the family members that has been affected also mm. need to be trying to get help. So when the unit mm-hmm. reconnect, they come back together mm-hmm. strong as opposed to trying to just heal the person that they believe had the original problem.
1: Mm. That is powerful. That is powerful. Now, how, how first of all, how do you know, how does the family know when it's time to seek help? Because I'm sure every family has, you know, dynamics and it's sometimes kind of a way of life in in some families, Mm -hmm, and they mm -hmm. kind of see it as normal. But how do Mm -hmm. they know when, okay, it's time, we've got to see somebody now because this is just not normal?
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's a great question. So there's a lot of factors because what mental health does, it affects the way we think, the way we feel, and the Mm -hmm. way we act. And depending Mm -hmm. on how we're being taught, raised, raised, to process feelings and emotions, the average person will deal with them in a way where they communicate, they walk through learn coping skills, and they're able to move on, and it transitions into relationships, and they have healthy relationships. Well, when there's a hindrance or a blockage where there's lack of communication and an escape has taken place, well, maladaptive behaviors come out. So the child may appear resistant or rebellious Mm -hmm. or defiant, that could be a first indicator that something needs to be addressed. Not necessarily that it's drug-related, just something needs to be addressed because even when you're in defiant behavior, it's a form of communication. What you're trying oh, yeah. to say may not be conveyed mm-hmm. in the healthiest way, but you're saying it to the best of your ability because our youth and young adults, they're still forming not only psychologically but physiologically Mm -hmm. as well. So we want to try to understand what they're telling us. And as adults and parents, we're watching our children, we kind of learn their habits and patterns. And so when they Mm -hmm. start veering off to the left, the sooner we can intervene, the better. But if it goes on one month, three months, five months, say a year, well, that's behavior that they've used over and over, and they've almost like perfected it. To their way Mm -hmm. of disconnect. So, by the time Mm -hmm. an intervention takes place, or if there's a need for an intervention, it's more resistant on the individual's part because it's like, you've known this, you've allowed this, Mm -hmm. you've watched me do this, and you haven't said anything. So, Mm -hmm. you get to intervene based on whatever the disruptive behavior is sooner rather than later.
1: Got it, got it. And and I guess sometimes the schools can play a big part in this because aren't they mm-hmm. seeing things in the classroom, maybe that yes. youth acting out or maybe feeling mm-hmm. isolated in that mm-hmm. space? And, you know, that would be one of the signs that they can't see. So are the, the parents, I mean, is that a good idea for the parents to connect with the schools to ask questions about what's going on with their youth? Um, parent teacher meetings or something,
0: I don't know, is that an avenue? Oh definitely that's at least that was an avenue when my children were younger. I wanna believe mm-hmm. that they still do that, right? So and if not there would hope. definitely <laughs> be something yes. Yeah. And if not there would definitely be something parents want to initiate to create so exactly. it can happen. Because the interaction with the teacher, as you were saying, they do see the behavior, whether it's shy, isolated, being bully or doing the bullying, right? And all those
1: Mm -hmm. factors indicate
0: something. And if they can get it intervened sooner, right, you can actually help turn the behavior if you can capture it and help the child open up. Because usually some issues may be so deep-rooted. Like they could have held something for so long, by the time they display this negative behavior, that's the only out that they know. Mm. So they haven't used their voice mm. in so long. So I'd rather act out in class. I'd rather become a bully. I'd rather go to de- to detention. I'd rather get in fights than to deal with the real issue. So by the time you approach them, you're basically addressing this negative behavior, but it's really not the real issue. So you spend time mm-hmm. on the negative behavior, but it continues to push the child further within. So if the teacher's and the parents can work together, that would be a wonderful intervention to help the child sooner.
1: Right. I I absolutely agree. That's the best-case scenario. You know, I was just thinking about the school shootings that we've seen over and over and over again, and many of them coming from youth or, you know, young um, um, school-age kids. And you wonder, aren't there signs? Um, you know, maybe sometimes those signs just kind of, you know, they they they're not noticed. But it seems like there would be signs sometimes that maybe this person is isolating themselves, or um, this person is is um, is being bullied or something like that. Would you normally see signs? And what can we do to better? you know, at least try to stay ahead of what's going on, maybe to intervene in a way that might be um, helpful, productive.
0: Well, that's a loaded question. So, <laughs> so let's dissect <laughs> yeah, it. it. No, that's okay. Let's dissect it. I like to unravel things. So let's unravel oh, it great. a little bit. Love it. Love By it. the time a person gets to an explosive state, that's a culmination Mm -hmm. of behaviors. Mm -hmm. Whether Mm -hmm. it happened a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago, by the time the explosion comes, you're dealing with a more volatile behavior. So what that looks like is by the time we get to that point, there's been a lot Mm -hmm. of things missed, ignored, unaddressed, whether it's parental, whether it's societal, whether it's from the community, there are so many other pieces that play a part in that because the phrase it takes a village, it really does take a village to raise our children. And if we, meaning individuals that may not know them but can intervene. Even if you see them acting out, you know that's not an okay behavior, right? You Mm -hmm. may get cursed out Mm -hmm. for doing it, but you're at least offering an opportunity to stop. But say at home, if the parents are busy or maybe not even present or maybe have so many other things going on, there's nobody really there to capture these behaviors, or Mm. the child may display this wonderful gathered together in front of the parents and be sneaky with their friends, Right, So there's so many moving uh-huh. pieces in that. You may want to keep looking to the moving pieces because uh-huh. that's basically what it is. A yes. child is just one person that needs uh-huh. other people. They need other people uh-huh. to help them, to raise them, to take care of them. So with the adults uh-huh. being in place, they're just as important to pay attention to as opposed to the child that may get that explosive behavior.
1: Oh, that is powerful. Wow. So it's the surrounding, definitely. It's it's, it's those around them, right? Mm-hmm. Wow, that's that's really interesting. And you know, um, I I just I want to talk more about because you did talk at the beginning of the show because I can tell that you are passionate about what you talk about <laughs> and you understand the subject so very well, and it just comes from deep within. And that comes across in, in our in the interview and in the conversation that we're having. Mm, and you said that you had, you know, personal experience and you've received therapy yourself. So you definitely know um how it feels, in other words. Yes,
0: definitely. Mm-hmm. So you want
1: me to expound um, on that a little bit? Yes. Can you tell okay. us a little if you don't mind. I don't you know oh, no. want you to be uncomfortable with that, but just whatever you're comfortable with, um, share that with mm-hmm. us because I think it will help people out there who are listening to the show going, you know, I'm dealing with some of the same things and you know, and, and, and there's so much stigma attached yes. to it that, you know, people think that they're the only ones going through something.
0: Exactly. And so I'm in recovery. I'm a recovering addict from drugs and alcohol. And I used in the seventies, eighties and um late nineties. So by the time I got clean, which was in nineteen ninety nine, I had been exposed to a lot of different lot of different things. From selling mm-hmm. drugs to using drugs to being bullied to bullying people to gang rape, to being physically abused. Mm -hmm. So it was all these things that created an opportunity for me to want to escape. And that's what the drug did, or so I thought. Mm -hmm. I never escaped it. I only hid more. And Mm -hmm. in seeking help and getting healthy and finding my voice and my worth again, I realized that there were so many things that happened I held on to them longer than I needed to, and it only opened the door for me to keep beating up on me. Mm -hmm. My Mm self-esteem was low. I didn't have to help it be lowered anymore. I was already in pain. I didn't have to inflict more pain on me because I was in pain. I didn't know how to communicate. Instead of not learning, instead of not knowing how to express myself, I didn't have to keep shrinking and going backwards to make a a statement. So through Mm -hmm. the years the healing and going through therapy, what I realized was I lost my voice through whatever happened to me. Those are external stimuli. Those are events that were beyond me. It was not my fault. There was nothing I did for Mm -hmm. all of that to happen. What I did, what I played a part in, should I say, was Mm -hmm. how long I suffered, how long Mm -hmm. I stayed sick, how long I stayed Mm -hmm. disconnected. And when I decided, Mm -hmm. by the grace of God, to do something different, the sky's the limit. So I've learned to use my mess to become my message. Wow.
1: Oh, that is that's a tweetable moment. I've learned <laughs> to use my mess, right? To become your message to become your messenger. Yes.
0: Right.
1: That is, my that is so incredibly yes. powerful because that, that that's your message and your message is coming from what you call your, your mess, but it has empowered you to be a blessing for so many people who are going through the same thing right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, in our society, we attach so much stigma to seeking help, that it's a sign mm-hmm. of weakness when you try yes. to get help or you're saying that, you know, you know you have a problem that doesn't feel right and you're, you're trying, we're, we're putting, you know, we're putting labels on people and causing them not to want to surface to get this help. So thank you so much for sharing your story, Denise, because it is incredibly powerful. That's the passion that I hear coming through. Thank you. <laughs> wow. So, you know, so as a counselor, you're seeing other people, um, and, and sometimes similar situations that, that you're in. Um, so what, what is that like? Um, you know, do you have strengths, I'm sure, because of your journey. And, and what do you feel your limitations might be then as a counselor?
0: Well, some of my limitations is keeping up with all of this new information that's out there. Mm-hmm. There's so mm-hmm. many different changes going on from mm-hmm. statistics to to suicide to therapy, right? So you at least want to, Mm -hmm. at least I want to at least stay abreast so I can better serve whatever population comes to me. So Mm -hmm. taking training, staying up to date on what's out there and how to better navigate because new generations bring different issues, and new Mm -hmm. generations bring different ways they cope with things. So you want to be empowered. You want to be exposed to enough tools to be able to help them wherever they're at because one way does not fit everyone. So I want to stay as Mm -hmm. eclectic as possible. I want to be able to be versatile with whomever comes, Mm -hmm. whether whether it's a youth, whether it's an adult, whether it's Mm -hmm. a female, whether it's a male. And I want to mm-hmm. be able to meet them where they're at and help them navigate their own road that they've come to. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, you know, I, I want to talk about this, and I need to put this out there because it seems that, you know, in the, especially in the faith based community, faith based community, especially with um, people of color, African Americans specifically. You know, there is a stigma in terms of people wanting to get help and Mm -hmm. this being an illness as opposed to, you know, like heart disease and cancer is an illness. But when it comes to mental health and substance abuse, you know, it's kind of labeled differently, um, Mm -hmm. you know, that you just need to pray about it or you're not, you know, being faithful enough or there's Mm -hmm. something that you're not doing. Um, mm-hmm. As opposed to this really being an illness and something that you know you've got to get help for, how do you do do you yes. have clients who talk about that?
0: Yes, definitely. so one of the things that takes place by the time a person seeks help, they are in so much pain they want relief mm-hmm. from the pain, whatever mm-hmm. avenue they come in believing, right? As a therapist, I get to explore that with them and possibly encourage them to consider other options because there's so many other roads. So if they're so religious to where prayer Mm -hmm. is their only avenue and that's all they know, I use Mm -hmm. it to help them see, while that's a strong Mm -hmm. source that you've used Mm -hmm. as a vehicle, what else Mm -hmm. in addition to that can you implement so you can find some relief while you're waiting for the prayer to be answered. Oh, I love that approach. That's really good. That's really
1: good. So use where, like you said, sometimes you have to meet people where they are. And if that's Mm -hmm. where they are and this is what they've been taught, then you use that and then you build upon that. Use their faith and their, their religious belief and you build upon that to get them additional help and resources. I really like the way you've incorporated that. Um, Thank you. Now, I know many times in our day-to-day life, we probably see people who are, you know, walking alongside of us, you know, either as friends or coworkers or even family members in their journey, and we, we can see something going on with them. Um, how would we approach them about it? You know, if we think they're drinking too much or maybe they have another um, issue going on, um, how, how would we, um, you know, at least try to help
0: them or at least uh, talk to them about it? That's a great question. So one of the things that would help is if people understand everybody that drinks is an addict. Everybody Mm -hmm. that, I mean, isn't an alcoholic, right? Everybody Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. does any manner to remove change in substance doesn't necessarily mean they have a problem. If you're Mm -hmm. concerned Mm -hmm. and it's out of control, right, you can hopefully care enough about the person to where you want to talk to them and have a candid conversation. If you have a relationship, that's an entitlement right there where you already have been introduced to explore that conversation, And what I mean Mm -hmm. by that is, a total stranger in a grocery store, if they're staggering and falling down, the the most I want to do is help them so they don't hurt themselves. We're not about to have a session in a grocery aisle, right? But if it's someone close (laughs) to me, right? If it's someone close to me, and I'm concerned for them, and I noticed over time, because this is an over time behavior, this is not a one time Mm -hmm. incident. I owe it to them to speak to them from that place of love, to plant a seed in hopes that they want to get help or maybe take a look at it because sometimes maybe it takes just a caring person to say because maybe they're so far gone they don't know how to stop and they need that blockage and that love, it's like a blockage. It's Mm -hmm. a wonderful stop that says, hey, wait a minute, is everything okay? And that may be an opportunity for them to turn around and want to talk. But you need to be aware and understand some of the dynamics of what it is because, again, it may not be – substance related. It could be mental illness. It could be unaddressed issues. Mm-hmm. It could be harboring scars from the past. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know,
1: uh, it just reminds me of something that happened recently. Well, actually, um, last year, um, there was someone who I, I knew, and um, I would see them, you know, um, you know, once a week or so and gatherings or, you know, community type of events or at church, and I noticed they were losing, you know, a significant amount of weight and, and some of their, you know, the way they dress or, you know, you're used to kind of a certain appearance and you mm-hmm. weren't seeing that with this person. They were not as, you know, well-kept as they had been previously. And you're noticing these changes over time. And so finally I asked them if they wanted to go to lunch with me. And they went to lunch with me, and that's when I, I felt and I learned from the conversation that they're dealing with some really serious issues and emotional issues and mm-hmm. um, had suffered a year prior, had suffered um, loss of their memory, which I had no idea mm-hmm. that that had happened. You know, they, mm-hmm. they all of a sudden, probably from stress or trauma, um, they're thinking loss of memory has come back, but mm-hmm. yet and still they're dealing with they're not getting any emotional or mental health counseling. They're getting counseling for the memory loss and medications, Mm -hmm. but not any emotional counseling. So I was able to, um, you know, have them go to, and they don't really have a lot of family support in the area either, um, but I did find a center that they could go to to get some assessment and work work Mm -hmm. up but it's really trying to get the family involved because they don't want the family to know about it. So it's a really, Mm -hmm. really difficult issue when you don't have the family involvement and the person is Mm -hmm. trying not to let
0: their family know everything that's going on with them or they have this issue. That is so true, and that's that suffering and silence.
1: Yes. Oh, gosh, it's, it's really, it breaks my heart to really see this, uh, this going on. So I'm hoping, um, you know, that at least one family member, because what I, I said to them is, you know, let's try, if there's someone in your family that you trust that can get involved with your care to continue to get this care at this center um, that will help you feel better, because all she says is, I just want to feel better. I just want to feel better. I just want to feel better. And that's what she knows she wants to do. But trying to get the support
0: to do that is hard. Yes, definitely. I totally agree. Wow. So can I speak to this suffering and silence for a moment? Please do. I would love that. Okay, so just from the definition of suffering, right, it's a state Mm -hmm. of undergoing pain, distress, Mm -hmm. or hardship, That sounds like a lot of work for any individual. So Mm -hmm. by the time they say anything, they have been doing this work to hide all of this for so long. Mm -hmm. It can have effect on us through weight loss, through behaviors, Mm -hmm. through mental Mm -hmm. issues, and and all of this is the culmination. So like you were saying, talking with someone that they trust, Mm -hmm. finding out, you know mm-hmm. seeking out a support group would be really well too because they have support groups for so many different things that we can mm-hmm. actually benefit from and also the myth has to be shattered that everything is okay and mm-hmm. african americans i know we have a tendency not to seek out help because of the stigma or because of mm-hmm. what we was raised to believe and there mm-hmm. comes a point where we have to say enough is enough sooner rather than later. Because another thing that's on the rise is celebrities have begun to open up. Like, they're breaking the silence Mm. themselves. Like, Taraji P. Henson, she started talking about her mental health issues last year. Um, Michelle Obama, in her book, Becoming, talked about the need to seek marital counseling, right, and Chance the Rapper, Mm -hmm. he started an initiative where he's exposing light to mental health and putting funds behind it so services can be available because some of us can't afford it.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that is wow. That's um that is really, really powerful, but I think you're right. And especially in the African American community, we're taught to be strong, you know, to, you know, kind of suck it up and, and move on to be tough and you know the fact that you can just get through this, um, you know, just uh, is uh, it sometimes it makes the the problem worse um, because yes. you you feel that you can't get the help that you you really need because you feel weak mm-hmm. when you try to mm-hmm. seek help. So thank you for talking about that silence. That that's what we have to do. Just like the celebrities, we need to throughout the country because I think that yes. is something that's prevalent throughout our country mm-hmm. is that we. Um, don't ask for the help that we need. And then mental health is, is you know, like insurances and getting it paid for. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sometimes that's problematic, too, If some people don't have the money and the insurance has very poor coverage sometimes mm-hmm. for um, mental health therapy. So you have to look yes. at creative avenues and ways to get that help. Mm-hmm. Okay, so well, this has really been excellent. We're going to take a, a short break now, and when we come back, we are going to um, let you talk, Denise, about to that person out there right now that may be going through a challenge, maybe having some difficulties, maybe you know what what should be there or might be the next step. And then I want to um, ask you to give your contact information, share with the, the listeners so that they can follow up with you after. The show. Okay, okay, we'll take a short break and we will be right back. You've been listening to The Common Good Show with Juanita. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Common Good Show with Juanita, talking to Denise Hill today, and we're talking about mental health and addiction. So, Denise, I want to bring you back on and thanks so much for all uh, the information that you've shared with our listeners and also for your own personal journey. Um, It's so empowering for us to know that, you know, we feel empowered to get that next step. But I know that there might be someone out there who is kind of on the fence and not really sure which direction they should go, um, but maybe hurting in silence, as you're
0: saying. What would you say to that person right now? I would say... You matter, and what you're feeling is real, and whatever you need to do to help heal you, I hope you take it. I hope that you consider generational teachings sometimes may not be what we need today, where our great-grandmother didn't seek help or our grandmother didn't seek help or our mother didn't seek help. doesn't mean I don't get to seek help. There may have been mental issues within the family that wasn't talked about, We get to address it today. We get to live, and we get to be okay because we can't have a successful, productive life suffering in silence. So if you're hurting in any way, please pick up the phone.
1: Oh, thank you so much for that. Um, and thank you for the show today. I really appreciate your um, insight and your wealth of knowledge that you've shared with us. So it, it tell the uh, listeners how best to reach you if they wanted to get in touch with you or find out more about your services um, after the
0: show. Thank you. They can find me on Psychology Today. I also have a website called treasurechestwork.com. Mm -hmm. And I also can be reached by telephone, 561-279-3903. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so
1: much. I really, really appreciate um, doing the show with you. Mm -hmm. Uh, You too, Anita. It's been great. Oh,
0: thank you. So welcome.
1: You're so welcome. You are so welcome. And thank you, our listeners, for tuning in to the Common Good Show. You can catch us every week on Tuesdays at 4 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, Tuesdays at 4 Eastern Standard Time on WDJY 99.1. If you're in the Atlanta area, outside of the Atlanta area, dot. Com. Just click on the link and tune in live every Tuesday, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And have a great week.
0: Thank you for tuning in to The Common Good Show with host Juanita.